0: today is even more of a continuation because last sunday i preached only the first half of this sermon as you may remember i began with a thesis statement or really a one sentence summary of these nine verses that we're studying in colossians and so let's start with that again here it is you will find stability when you learn to reject lies and trust in the truth. let may say it once more. You will find stability when you learn to reject lies and trust in the truth. And let me hasten to remind you that the place where you will find this truth that brings stability is not the internet or your favorite news channel. Uh, we are not talking about trying to figure out what is true Uh, And what is not true on Facebook. As we look at the text in a moment, you will remember that we're ultimately talking about a relationship with Jesus, who himself is the truth. But before we dig in, I want to pause and say once more how blown away I am that God has led us to this subject matter right now. As we enter the long dark of winter, um, as an election has just occurred, which no matter how you voted or why, has serious consequences that might make some of us feel unstable. Uh, As we enter a second round of shutdowns, which feels like a kick in the gut, And as we're forced to have church with limitations that are, frankly, historic in a very bad way. We come to a text about stability in Christ. To think that we would be working our way through Colossians and we would get to these verses about stability right now. The point is that God is still speaking through His Word and through the preaching of His Word. He is in control. He planned this for us. He made sure that you were here today because you need stability. You may not make it through all of this without more stability. And God has a word for you to show you where to find stability. If you didn't hear the message last week you may want to go back and watch it on facebook or youtube today is the second half last time we talked about the historical context which is leading paul to write this in the first place gnosticism is trying to find a place to take root in the colossian church paul is very concerned there's always something right what are you concerned about liberalism maybe whether politically in society or doctrinally in our churches or maybe you've watched family members succumb to one of the cults or other less obvious types of false teaching but that's all relatively easy for most of you to think about because you are thinking of somebody else a more difficult question is what about you What are you believing that destroys your stability in Christ? How is your stability weakened because you are not walking with Christ, staying close enough to the one who is the truth to recognize the subtle lies you need to reject? For the Colossian church, it was Gnosticism creeping in. I explained last week that Gnosticism was made up of people who couldn't be satisfied with the truth as it had already been revealed by God. They were looking for new truth. They wanted fresh revelations, something more specific or maybe more self-centered. They wanted more than the gospel, more than the Bible. They wanted new prophecies, new ideas, maybe even easier things to believe regarding the mysteries of the Trinity. But generally, they wanted new truth. And Gnosticism gave it to them. The word is based on the Greek word for knowledge, and that is what it promised. New and improved knowledge. Supposedly better or more current than what they had received from those who actually represented Christ, the apostles. Why is it important to understand this as we read our text? Well, this helps us know where Paul is coming from. When he talks about the treasures of wisdom and knowledge and where to find these, he is saying you will not find these any place other than Christ. He is telling them to reject the counterfeits. And go back to the original, which is Jesus. There's so many important ways for us to apply this. But let's read our text before I go any further. From the book of Colossians, chapter 2, starting with verse 1. The apostle writes, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf, and for those who are at Laodicea, and for all those who have not personally seen my face, That their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery. That is Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive argument, for even though I am absent in body, nevertheless, I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in Him, and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. I say again, you will find stability when you learn to reject lies and trusts in the truth. As I pointed out last week, truth is capitalized there for a reason. Jesus told us that He is the truth. And that is exactly what Paul is getting at in this passage. The Bible's meant to be applied, it's living and active and sharper than a two edged sword, able to find its way deep into our souls. Another verse says that every ounce of Scripture is profitable. For instruction and teaching and correction and training and righteousness. We need to be instructed by the Word of God. And today, the instruction or the application that we can receive is this how to find stability in life. We covered the first point, half of the second point last week. But let's review just a little bit. From our text, we found that the first thing we need to do to find stability is this. Attain to the true knowledge of God in Christ. This comes straight out of the second half of verse 2. Where in so many words, Paul says, All you really need to know is Jesus. We don't take this to mean that you can know Jesus without knowing anything else. But the point is that there is no truer knowledge than knowing Jesus. Paul is playing off of what the Gnostics claim to have, which they call special knowledge. They're all about knowledge. Knowledge that only special people have been given. And so Paul rebukes this philosophy by pointing out that the only knowledge that is actually special is knowing Christ. The most special knowledge in this life is knowing Jesus, and amazingly, anyone can know him, even children. All it takes is a little bit of faith. The latest new information or revelation that someone claims you need to know is, has nothing on simply knowing Christ. In fact, the gnosis, that Greek word, G-N-O-S-I-S, The gnosis of Jesus boils down to a life-changing relationship with the God of the universe, which, if you think about it, makes everything else barely relevant. Think about how the knowledge of Jesus can bring stability into your life. We don't know what is going to happen with the economy with our jobs or with our 401ks if you're retired or maybe maybe you're mostly worried about the loss of freedom that is upon us which is a very big loss indeed or you feel unstable about our relationship with china or the latest seeds of war that may be sprouting now between Iran and Israel, which would ultimately involve us. Okay, so there's a lot to make you feel unstable. But are you remembering who actually lives inside you? Listen, to find stability for your life. You need to attain to the full knowledge of God in Christ. Stability comes from knowing Jesus. I would even say that the better you know Jesus, the more stable you will be. Now, the second step for gaining stability flows right out of the first. So number two, to find stability in your life, discipline yourself to walk with Christ. We started on this one last week, but I'm going to go deeper with it today. In review, I pointed out that it's not really knowing that you can know Christ that brings stability, but it's actually knowing Him so well that it's like you're walking through life hand in hand. Knowing Jesus in this way is precisely what brings stability, but notice that discipline is required. Where is this in the text? Look at the second half of verse 5. Paul continues, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. This passage is completely saturated with two ideas. One, the discipline required to walk with Christ. And two, the results of that walk. Maybe it's a little hard to see the part about discipline. Maybe you see the results there and you see that Paul talks about walking in Christ. But maybe you don't see the idea that spiritual disciplines will be required <clears throat> to do that. Well, Besides the initial accolade about the good discipline, and he does mention... Uh, their good discipline, but that might just refer to their ability to not succumb to false teaching. But besides that, there's much more here that also implies the kind of discipline required to walk with Christ. I'm not just making this fit. Notice where Paul says, just as you were instructed, which points back to being firmly rooted, built up, and established in their walk with Jesus. Okay, how does that kind of instruction happen? How do we really learn to walk with Christ through life? How does that walk become so meaningful that it causes roots to develop, strength to be built up, and faith to be established? I think most of you know that what it takes for these things to happen. It takes discipline. To sum up, it takes discipline for you and I to spend the time with Jesus so that we are actually walking with Him. As I put it last time, in short, no discipline, no walk. More importantly, if there is no walk, there's none of the rest of this. And most of the rest of this could be summed up at least partially with the word stability. Firm roots, built up, established. In fact, Paul comes right out and refers to all of this as stability in Christ in verse 5. And don't forget the context. This is about stability in the face of lies that water down, that tear down their faith in the truth. It's really a whole lot about knowing the truth so well that the deceptive work of Satan and his lies have no effect on us you and I can actually be that strong if we will have the discipline to walk with Christ, who is the truth. It's really quite amazing to think that this could be true of me. I want this to be true of me. I am not sure it is always true of me. Sometimes I feel a little bit unstable. Sometimes I'm afraid that I might even stop believing some of the truth and start believing some of the lies. When that happens, what is my problem? I'll tell you exactly what my problem is in those times. My problem is that I'm not having the discipline to actually walk with Christ. I have a feeling I'm not the only one who has seasons such as this. I might not even be the only one who has had days or maybe even weeks recently such as this. These have been turbulent times. Where do we find stability? Let's take a little bit closer look at these wonderful word pictures which Paul gives us that can actually describe our lives, which is incredible. Have we, here we have a way to think about our walk with Christ, and particularly what the results look like when we actually walk with Him. Well, first Paul says we can be firmly rooted in Christ. <clears throat> Back in Missouri, where I'm originally from, we had a very nice house, which just FYI cost about a third as much as our current house here on the West Coast. But the backyard was really blah with nothing but a square patch of grass. So after we had lived there for a little while, I planted some trees in my backyard. Okay, actually, I had some young guys plant some trees in my backyard. It was a package deal. The labor came with the trees, and honestly, they were very large trees, about as big as any I've ever seen planted, with root wads probably about the size of a Volkswagen bug. Okay, maybe about half that size, but they were big. This guy came to the door with these huge trees on a trailer and he quoted me a price and he said that they would plant them for, them for me if I bought them. I agreed, trying not to reveal my sinister internal laughter. See, I knew something they didn't know. In my backyard, there existed about an inch of topsoil over virtually solid Missouri limestone. Trees will grow in it, but it doesn't give way easily. They were digging for hours. It was kind of fun to watch, honestly. The more they hammered away at those rocks with pickaxes, the more they felt like they were getting a bad deal, the more I felt like I was getting a great deal. Just so you won't hate me, I did give them a pretty decent tip in the end because I felt so sorry for them. Now, you might think those trees didn't have a chance, but actually being on the side of a hill, that rocky soil was perfect. If the soil had been soft, they would not have made it through any number of typical Missouri thunderstorms, but because they were rooted in rock, these trees made it just fine. I saw them last time I was there just a few months ago. For the record, they're sunset maples, probably quite a sight right about now. And tell that story because I want you to picture two things. One, the work required. And two, the stability to be gained if you will plant your tree on the rock. Our text talks about being firmly rooted. So think about this. Roots are basically roots. I'm not sure one tree actually has firmer roots than another similar tree. And besides, that's not what our text says. It says you will be firmly rooted. What makes one tree more firmly rooted than another tree? Isn't it mostly the soil itself that makes the difference? Isn't it where the tree is planted that winds up causing that tree to be more or less firmly rooted? The Bible often refers to Christ as a rock to build upon. Jesus himself said that the person who builds his life on him and his teachings is like the one who built his house on the rock instead of on the sand. But there's something important for us to remember about building on the rock. And we really need to remember this. It is more difficult to build on the rock than to build on the sand. Planting or building on the rock takes a lot of work. It takes a ton of effort. Discipline is required. But if you do that work and build on the rock of Christ, when the storms come, you will be stable. You will stand firm. Last week, I spent a lot of time talking about our relationship with Christ. It's a relationship of love and trust. If you invest in this relationship, you'll find stability and strength. Just as Paul said in another place, then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. Let's be honest. Many Christians today are not strong. They are easy to push over. Why? Their roots have not grown down into the rock they haven't had the discipline to dig down deep into Christ through spiritual disciplines <clears throat> like reading your Bible and praying both intensely and throughout your day. And things like attending church to, to worship and to hear the preaching of the Word and making choices to spend time in relationships with other believers and in doing things of that nature, your roots can begin to push down into the soil of God's love. And they can find strength as they connect to the rock of Christ. When that happens, you will become firmly rooted, strong, and stable. Next, Paul mentions how a disciplined walk results in our being built up in Christ. Notice the progression. Your roots need to grow down before the rest of you can be built up. Like a tree, you've got to grow down before you can grow up. The reason seems obvious. If you are built up with no roots, what is the actual result? You can become top-heavy, right? You can actually become more unstable if you start, to start being built up before you send down roots. The best way for anything to be unstable is to have more weight on top than can be supported by the foundation. Sometimes people want to be built up before their roots are ready. That's a bad idea. What what does it mean to be built up in Christ? What does Paul have in mind? I think he has in mind spiritual growth, but more than that, he has in mind results. He's thinking of the fruit that comes along with maturity. To be built up in Christ brings stability, but it also brings fruit, results, even rewards. Sometimes people want to jump straight to the end right? Let me give you an illustration from the church planting world. I run into guys all the time who want to plant a church, but they simply aren't ready. They don't have the roots to be given that kind of responsibility. They haven't been willing to get an education. Sometimes they've never even led a small group. They simply haven't paid their dues. And if you try to tell them this, they typically think it's a worldly way to look at it. But it isn't. You give that kind of responsibility and authority to a person who doesn't have the roots and you're basically guaranteeing that they will eventually topple. We could also talk about this in terms of small group leadership or other leadership roles in the church. If you want to see results, if you want to make a difference, if you want to lead, if you want to be that impact person to be built up in Christ to the point that you're even earning heavenly rewards, which is absolutely a biblical motivation, then you need to focus on sending your roots down into Christ first. By the way, who does the building up? Paul says, you are now being built up in him. He does not say you are now building yourself up in him. He says you're being built. And so obviously the builder here is God in Christ. You don't have to worry about other people building you up or about building yourself up. That's not the part you can control. What you can do is have the discipline to walk with Christ, which is how you put your roots down in him so that you'll be ready. When in his timing, he decides to build things into your life. Next, Paul tells us that this process of spiritual growth, which happens through walking with Christ, will mean that you are eventually established in your faith. We come full circle. The point, or at least a lot of the point, is stability. To be established is to be made stable. Able to endure whatever comes. This makes me think of a very old song that was sung in church when I was a child. I shall not be, I shall not be moved. I shall not be moved. Now, the song became a joke because some people were so unwilling to change uh, or show emotion that others of us tended to use that song as a joke to poke fun at them. But obviously, that's not really what the song was about. The song spoke of rock-solid, unmovable faith. Ephesians chapter 4 is one of my favorite passages in the Bible, and there we learn that mature Christians are not tossed around or tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. There I say there's a point where you should have a closed mind. Oh, that's, that's popular. You've probably heard the warning about open minds before. The problem with opening your mind too much is that if you're not careful, your brains fall out. Now listen, you and I don't need to be dogmatic about very many things. When it comes to many political or social issues, there is at least some room for flexibility or at least an attempt to understand where the other person is coming from even on many theological issues, particularly in areas beyond our comprehension, you don't need to close your mind and show an unwillingness to even think about it again. But listen, when it comes to the core truths of the gospel and particularly the work and identity of Jesus Christ, you should not be moved. In short, when it comes to your faith in Jesus, spiritual maturity will mean that you are completely established, unshakable, unmovable, no matter what happens. If you think about it, when your faith in Christ is established, which means you know He is God and He will save you and bring you into eternity with Him, then what could possibly bring you down? This is the kind of faith that allowed the apostles to face martyrdom rather than to deny Christ. They were established in their faith. Are you? Sometimes I wonder the way we talk. There's an old band, and uh, I kind of like their music, but they were definitely not believers. They had a song that went like this. It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. They were probably high when they wrote it. But my point is that sometimes we Christians sound as if we're panicking more than anyone. Does that really make sense? And I'm guilty of it, which leaves me feeling convicted. Is my faith not established? Am I not stable in Christ? Let me tell you, I'm not where I need to be right now. Can I be real? I've been more upset than stable. I've needed to hear these messages as much as anyone here. I need to go back to the rock. I do not always feel stable right now. I'm working on it. By that I mean that I'm disciplining myself to focus on my relationship with Christ. Every application I've been preaching to you over the last two weeks, I'm working to apply. Because I need more of Jesus right now. I need him to work in my life. I need to get to this point of being more established in my faith. Right now, I hear myself talking some days, and uh, I don't hear or see stability. So what can I do? I can discipline myself to walk with Christ. That's the big point here. And these sub points are what happens when we do it. Finally, Paul says that if we will walk out all of this with Jesus, it will lead to what? It will lead to hearts overflowing with gratitude. Gratitude. Walking with Jesus leads to hearts full of thankfulness because walking with Jesus is what we were created for and knowing him fills our hearts with joy. A stable walk is a thankful walk. Being firmly rooted, built up, established in our faith results in hearts overflowing with gratitude for what God has done. And overflowing with gratitude is a great place to be. It's a stable place to be. But I want to say one more time, if there is no discipline, there will be no walk, no roots, no building up of our lives, no establishment of our faith, no life overflowing with gratitude. To find stability in life, discipline yourself to actually walk out your relationship with Christ. Lastly, to find stability in Christ, you will need, this is number three, you will need to reject all imitations Paul continues see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men according to the elementary principles of the world rather than according to Christ I think this is one of the most important lessons of Scripture for us in modern times This passage warrants an entire sermon, but honestly, I think I've quoted this verse in probably four or five sermons since we started this church. That's just how relevant it is for our times. I'm sure this has always been important because there have always been counterfeits, but it just feels like now there are more ways to be fooled than ever, partly because we live in the information age. How can we all make sure that we're not taken captive By errant philosophies and the empty deceptions that have always been the tradition of men. How do I make sure that I'm not living according to the elementary principles of this world, those which come so naturally, rather than living according to Christ? How do you and I avoid these things? I've already given you most of the answer that we need to stay close to the truth who is Christ but I would be leaving something out from this message if I were not also clear that we must learn to flat out reject a lot of what we read, hear, and see. Listen, if you are a Christian living in this world, you need to learn the art of rejection. Don't don't, don't toy with it. Just reject it. Don't be surprised that just about everything you are hearing from a world lost in sin is a lie. Satan is the prince of the power of the air, which is a reference to the earthly realm. And the Bible sums him up with the word deceiver. Newsflash, you don't get called the deceiver unless you're all about deceiving. It's what he does. It's who he is. And he is incredibly skilled at it. To the point that deception defines and identifies him. Now I can spend all day talking down about the devil. And not one single person will be offended. But here's the harder part. Many people you know are helping Satan with his agenda of deception. They don't know they're doing it. They probably mean well. They're not to be hated. You need to still love them. But you also must understand that whether they know it or not, they are helping the devil with his program of deception. And many are doing it with passion. They're living their life for it. Be aware that many real people who you know have believed lies, and some of them have made their entire life about trying to get other people to believe those lies. Now, are some of those people even believers? Answer, yes. There are people who are going to be in heaven who are currently helping Satan spread his lies. There's just no doubt about it. I don't have time to make the case for it, but trust me, people who know Jesus can wind up accidentally helping out the other team. It happens all the time. So what does this mean? Well, it means you're not immune. It means even though you may be saved, you're not immune from believing and repeating the lies of the enemy. Why is Paul writing this to a church? Why is he so concerned for them, struggling in prayer and obvious turmoil about what might happen to them? Because he knows that even though they once put their trust in Christ, they can still be deceived. And what does he say? Taken captive. Earlier, he had mentioned that they could become deluded. See, Paul has seen this happen before. And so have I. Listen, you're not immune. And neither am I. Most of us have no idea how easily influenced we are. We don't realize how many lies we've already believed, at least in part. How did so many Christians ever come to accept evolutionism as a mechanism for things coming into existence? Or even anything close to that. How could so many who claim to believe the gospel also believe people were once cavemen? Unable to really speak or or write or, or create. Barely different than the animals they descended from. How could so many believers not even realize that the caveman narrative, modern anthropology as it's presented in our schools, is completely incongruent with Scripture? We were told this is science, historical fact, so we just believed it with practically blind faith. Well, some did, anyway. How could such a high percentage of Christians believe that there are probably many roads to heaven, while the Bible makes it crystal clear that our only hope, our only chance is through Christ? How can we possibly claim to believe the gospel but think that most people will probably not go to hell unless they're really, really bad? Where did we get that? Who wants us to believe that? What about morality? Are your morals influenced more by Christ or more by what everyone else is doing and saying? How many Christians think premarital sex is fine as long as you really love the other person? How many have decided to just go ahead and celebrate homosexual behavior? Have many Christians not believed lies that are contrary to what God has clearly said? How many Christians won't stand up against abortion? The killing of innocent babies who God says He knows even while they're still in the womb. Could there be anything more obviously wrong? And yet many Christians seem swayed on this issue as well. But wait a minute. How many Christians think it's okay to hate people or condemn people who simply sin in different ways than they do? Yeah, that requires believing a lie as well. For the record, we're absolutely called to love everyone, regardless of sin. How many American Christians particularly find too much hope in Caesar, as long as he's a Republican? Oh, I've done it now. how many so-called Christians don't even really know what they believe about the basic identity of Christ? Paul was very concerned about this for the Colossians. So in chapter 1, he made it crystal clear that Jesus is fully God. And in fact, in verse 9, right after today's text, he states once again that Jesus is fully God. But how many of us were shocked, at least a little bit, when I preached this and stated it so clearly that Jesus is God, and God is Jesus, just a few weeks ago. Remember the statistics I shared. As much as half of the church at large is confused on this issue, they aren't even sure they can talk to Jesus as if he were there, as if he were God. Once again, you can and you should Because he is. What have you believed? What deceptions, empty philosophies, and elementary principles of this world do you need to more fully reject? Do you find yourself accusing God for everything bad that happens in the world? Or do you blame him when things don't go well in your own life? As if he promised to not let anything bad happen. Where did that expectation come from? Where did you learn that? Every last one of us is being influenced, at least sometimes, by the wrong voices. Where did you get the idea that the church just wants your money? What has God said about such things? What has God said about stewardship of your resources? Has he said anything about giving to the church? Yes, he has. Which voice is louder in your ears? The one that says give or the one that says don't give? The one that says give more or one that says give, give less? Who are you believing? Do you think dinosaurs roamed the earth long before humans? Is that what the Bible teaches? No. Do you think men and women should not have different roles in the family or in the church or in society, but everyone should do whatever they want, and God has nothing special for men to do, nothing special for women to do? In other words, do you believe that God has something different for men and women to do? What does the Bible say? It Couldn't be more clear. Old and New Testament. The fact is that many or maybe all of us have already been taken captive by certain lies and we don't even know it. I would assert to you that The viewpoint of most modern Christians is already severely tainted by the empty philosophies of men, the elementary speculations of this world. What now? What should you do? Well, for starters, you absolutely need to get a backbone and you need to learn to wholeheartedly reject certain messages from this world. That's what you need to do if you're going to become stable in your walk with Christ. Many of you have been divided in your own self, Wait, even me? I don't know. Have you? In general, Christianity as a belief system is in danger of becoming incoherent because we've mixed in the teachings of man and watered down the teachings of God in order to make them more palatable. I bet there's not one of us. Not one person in this room, myself included, who does not need to go back to what the Bible actually says and find out some ways that we need to change our thinking. We are influenced by the imitation truth of the world every day. These empty philosophies philosophies, that make us unstable Christians. For stability in Christ, you and I need to reject every idea that sets itself up as a replacement for the truth of God's Word. Yes, we need to reject all imitations of the truth, and we probably need to do a better job of doing it, do a better job of it than we've been doing. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We have learned in this series that Christ is the source of all creation that the life and purpose of literally everything is found in him. He's our only hope for knowing the difference between the truth and just another empty philosophy or opinion. Jesus is called the living word, but how do we know about him? We know about him from the Bible, which is called the written word. Jesus is the Bible lived out, and the Bible is Jesus in print. Only through the written and living word of Christ can we walk in truth. Everything else is just another man's opinion. To find stability in life, you and I need to reject every imitation that pretends to be true and trust in the truth of Christ instead. Do you think any of this is surprising to God, what's going on in the world? The Bible predicted that counterfeits of the truth would find their way into our lives. The Apostle John prophesied that some would claim to be Christians, yet deny that Jesus actually came in the flesh. That happened, is still happening. Paul said some would claim that Jesus was only a man. That's happened, continues to happen. Second Timothy four four says, They will turn their ears from the truth and turn aside to myths. Jesus said, For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles, deceive even the elect. If that were possible, Paul wrote, The Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. I could point out so many similar verses warning us against deceivers and deception. To have stability in life, we must reject these imitations, but again, How do we know what to reject? I would use Diet Coke as an example, but some of you actually like that pipe cleaner. So let me use plastic trees instead. How do you know that a plastic tree is not actually a tree? That it's an imitation tree by comparing it to the real thing that's exactly what you're doing when you look at a tree inside a mall or somewhere and you determine that it is not real you are looking at it closely and comparing it to what you know about a real tree but you can only do that because you know real trees very well you know how they feel you know how they smell you know tiny little details about how they look so that if you look closely enough at even a very expensive imitation tree you will know that it's not true it's not real it's fake how do we identify imitation truth man made truth that's not actually true by comparing it to the what Paul called true knowledge of God in Christ by disciplining ourselves to walk with Christ who again is truth when when we are full of this knowledge of Jesus walking daily with him we will almost automatically know what philosophies and ideas we need to reject this really all comes down to our relationship with Christ that is precisely where you and I will find stability I realize that not everyone believes in Christ or in His Word. And that's a choice for each person to make. But right now, I'm talking to those who have chosen already. And I'm telling you that if you want stability as a believer, if you want to be firmly rooted and established in your faith, you need to fully trust in Jesus as your definition of truth, and you need to fully reject imitations. Every day, every time, all the time. If you want stability. I'm going to close by reading a modern hymn that says it well. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when strivings cease, my comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. In Christ alone who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless babe. This gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save. Till on the cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on him was laid. Here, in the death of Christ, I live. There in the ground his body lay. Light of the world by darkness slain. Then bursting forth. In glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. And as he stands in victory, sin's curse has lost its grip on me. For I am his and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. No guilt in life. No fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man Can ever pluck me from his hand Till he returns or calls me home Here in the power of Christ i'll stand can you say amen to that jesus you are our all in all we have no hope without you but in you we have all the hope we need god for those who don't know you lord i pour out my heart they need you so much This world is lost, it's dying, it's spinning out of control, it's confused, it doesn't even know what the truth is, is it even sure there is such a thing as truth, it's so lost. Our children, our youth, and people from all ages are spinning with it, out of control, no stability. Sometimes even Christians wind up getting swept away. God help us, help us come to Christ, to come to the cross, to receive forgiveness, to receive Jesus, to have the very truth living inside us, to help us to know how to live and what is true save us lord i don't there, that's my biggest prayer right now save us save people save individuals save us overall we need you that you would rend the heavens and come down lord either in revival or in the end even so come quickly lord jesus we're desperate For those of us, Lord, who are Christians in this room, take our hands and don't let go. Show us where we've been wrong. For some of us, it may be in places that we haven't tended to look. Sometimes we can think we're so right about everything that it leads to being wrong. We can be too legalistic. We can be too judgmental. Maybe that's the place where we're the other brother, not the one who went off and and lived in in sin and and was so obvious, but the one who wasn't willing to receive him back, the one who had too much hatred in his heart and jealousy and self-righteousness. Maybe that's our sin. God, whatever it is, take our hands, show us the truth, and guide us to a place where we know that no matter what happens, no matter what happens to our to our country, to our lives, that we, we know that we're gonna be okay because you're with us and you will see us through, and ultimately this world is not our home. Change our perspectives, God. Use all of this junk to make us stronger. The storm is blowing now, Lord. Help us send down our roots into the rock. God, for anyone here that today's the day, they just want to put their trust in Jesus for the first time. It's never really happened. There's never been that moment. Lord, that someone would just say yes to you right now in their hearts. Yes, I want Jesus to be my Savior. Yes, I know I've sinned. I need him. I'm turning away from trying to do it on my own. I'm turning to Jesus. Just take my life. Somebody wants to say that to him today. He's he's listening. He's here. He's the one speaking to your heart. He's the one who paid your debt. Not me. Nobody else. Jesus Christ is the one. He is the only one who deserves your worship. Surrender to him today. Learn to walk with him. Let me know so I can help you. Father, just keep working in our hearts and our lives. Help us to pray more about what you're doing in our lives than we pray about maybe changing circumstances. Maybe that's how we need to shift. Use these trials, God. Make us strong. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to Go Church's weekly sermon podcast. If you enjoyed the sermon, be sure to rate and review us. If you want to learn more about the ministry of Go Church or catch up on previous sermons, check out our website, www.gochurchpnw.com. You can also connect with Go Church on Facebook and Instagram.